you won't be able to hear it, but like I totally like threw my arms up in the air like a champion's bee. <laughs> Hey, Suze. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? I am pretty good. I'm sitting here. It is um, getting warmer in Australia at this time of year, so I'm starting to really kind of enjoy it. What about you? Very nice. I, uh, I'm here at work early recording uh, this with you. Uh, we're, we're opening a huge exhibition in October, so... Um, we're, we're really busy here, um, working on some interesting, uh, mobile projects, uh, some responsive web projects and the next, uh, you know, two months or so we'll be, uh, we'll be sifting through and working with, a, uh, a ton of amazing content, um, for the exhibition. So, uh, we're in, we're in full speed ahead mode mode here. Um, how about you down there? Is your thesis coming along? It is starting to make some progress, which is a little bit exciting, seeing the the deadline at the end and starting to plan things that will hopefully come after it, mm-hmm. which, you know, I, I haven't been doing for a really long time. I've just been having this thing looming in the distance without actually starting to plan things that might get to happen afterwards. So that's really good. And I've started doing some teaching into an art course like at the university, which mm-hmm. is really fun, an art theory course. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm busy but in a kind of good and rewarding way. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's it's been a uh, you know since we last spoke, um it's it's been a pretty uh, busy time in uh, the museum space, uh, particularly um, this past weekend when an article in the New York Times was published called High Culture Goes Hands-On. Um, and it it was um, published on August 10th, 2013. I'll drop a, uh, a link in the show notes. Um, but basically, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, a thought piece on uh, the fact that participatory experiences are taking away from the art museum experience in some way it's a um do you think it's true do you think that participatory experiences are taking away from the art museum experience um i think they can they certainly can um you know but the way that i approach participatory experiences and the, and the people that I respect in the space and the way they approach participatory experiences is that, you know, they're there if you want them and they're not there if you don't with, you know, in a way that preserves the purity of the art. Um, but then also allows for a, a, a deeper or, um, a way for a way to activate the experience. What, I mean, what do you think about this whole thing? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm the same. I actually, will often go to art museums and just ignore the technology because that's my own way of dealing with things. At the same time, I'm, I will also quite happily pull out my phone to take a photograph or to Google or to participate in various different ways, but at least I get the choice yeah. at the moment. Yeah, right. Exactly. So naturally it, it kind of ruffled some feathers in the, uh, in, in, in our circles. Um, um, 
you know, some, it was funny cause I was traveling the, you know, over the weekend when it came out and I, I bookmarked the, I saw the link from the New York times go by. So I bookmarked it. And then, uh, with the idea that, you know, I'd, I'd get back from, from my travels with my family and, and dip into it a little bit. Um, but then, you know, I saw people getting really, you know, upset about it and, and people were posting responses. And, um, I think some of them are, are, are worth noting, which, uh, especially Ed Rodley's piece, um, which, uh, is called false dichotomies, straw men and real change. And that was, that was posted on August 12th, which I'll drop in the show notes as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really interesting article to read. And in fact, the two to read side by side and to be thinking about, what the implications are, even if someone like the New York Times is writing this, like what does that mean then in terms of our work and how we then need to be approaching that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, Suze, if somebody wanted to find the, sh- the links for this episode, where would they do that? Oh, changing up and putting it in the start of the show. They would find us at museopunks.org. And this is episode five, so it would be museopunks.org slash o five. You got it. Um, so, but, yeah, yeah, who are we talking to today? I mean, what are they going to find in the rest of the show? So we, I think we have a pretty cool topic, um, and the topic is games and gaming and game mechanics in in the museum space. And um, don't forget, we do touch on gamification. You can't leave that out. True, we do touch on gamification, um, which I was uh, interested to learn. There, it's a uh, it's almost a it's almost a dirty word. Yeah, I have been surprised by the strength of the reaction I found from people. Yeah. So uh, we have a couple great guests. We have Sharna Jackson from Take Kids, um, and we have Sophia George, who is uh, the new um, game designer in residence at the VNA. Yeah, which is such a cool program for the VNA to be running. And I think it's one of the interesting things. There's been a few posts this week about games and gaming. And one by uh, a Kevin Bacon, although not, I think, the Kevin Bacon. Um, <laughs> Wouldn't it be awesome that. if it was the Kevin Bacon? <laughs> It would be amazing if it was the Kevin Bacon. Um, but one of the one of the points that um, that he makes in his post, which is called "Nameless Gameless," is that there's a lot of competition out there that museums are competing against from dedicated video game developers. And so, I think it's quite interesting that what the VNA are doing is actually bringing in a dedicated video game developer into yeah. their space. It's it's certainly a uh, a progressive uh, move and a progressive. Uh uh, program, um, that I think, uh, all, you know, museum practitioners should really keep their eyes on, um, to see, uh, how it, how it moves forward. Um, before we get into the episode or the, the guests and the interviews, uh, Suze, are you, would you consider yourself a gamer? Honestly, these days, no. Um, when I was a kid, I played a lot of video games. So growing up, I played a lot of video games. But And this is a really dorky confession. Um, once it stopped being the joystick and started moving to handheld consoles, I found I'm really not coordinated enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. I, uh, uh, you know, I had the Atari when I was a kid, and I kind of loved that lo-fi kind of um, 8-bit experience and then as as i got older i don't know if it was that i got older and you know was into other things but i just never i never kept up with it so like you know through nintendo and sega and all that stuff i just kind of dropped off and um 
I haven't I haven't played a video game in years. Although my son now is who's six is um, is starting to get into it and uh, asks me to play, and I can. It's crazy how good he is at this, and and you know coming up um, as a as a youngster with with that kind of hand eye coordination and the ability to um, really manipulate the environment um, in that way is, is pretty amazing to me. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think I probably stuck with it longer than you did. We had an Amiga growing up. And so I spent a whole, a whole bunch of my time playing. Um, what I loved when I was in New York a couple of months ago, um, we went to Barcade, which is, you know, a bar that is full of arcade games. And one of my old Amiga games being Galaga was right there in the doorway. And I spent so many quarters, which of course in Australia, you don't have quarters to put in video game machines. So I was living out some sort of childhood fantasy of being an american kid growing up playing video games with quarters uh, there you go. With, with that space so <laughs> i think i still had that really strong connection to games but as i got older i've moved away from them cool um yeah and i mean it's just nowadays it's uh it's something that is is moving forward so quickly and um so many people there's a huge percentage of of the world now uh, where gaming and uh, that kind of thing is second nature, so it only makes you can sense. Even get, well, you can even get a um, a sporting visa, like a visa to come and play sport in a country, which I think in the US actually, as a, a video gamer. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so it is. It's a really significant deal, and so for for cultural organisations, it's definitely a different way of engaging. It's a different way of um, educating as well, because you can have educational games that can be entirely fun. So yeah, yeah definitely. So it only makes sense that uh, it is being introduced into the museum space, and um, we have two great people that. Um, are at the forefront of 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 this. Um, so, uh, without further ado, let's let's chat to Sharna. Sharna Jackson joined Tate as Tate Kids editor in 2007, where she developed the strategy for the brand and launched the site in 2008. Tate Kids aims to engage, entertain, and stealthily educate 5- to 12-year-olds and and their gatekeepers on British and international modern and contemporary art. Her focus is on play, digital toys, and games. Sharna runs Seahorse, a digital content agency for children, where she is working with diverse clients from established publishers to startups. And she's also involved in starting a play-based free school. Sharna, thanks so much for uh, chatting with us today. No worries. Thank you so much for involving me. I feel very honored. Oh, wonderful to have you. So... Um, in your bio, you describe your focus as play, digital toys, and games. Can you tell us a little bit more about these concepts and the relationships between them in your work? Okay, so I always seem I always make the distinction between uh, play and digital toys and games because for me it's important. Um, so uh, games um, have rules, toys don't, and play is. Um, play is, is a way of engaging. It's not, it doesn't necessarily mean it's fun, but it's a way of engaging with an object or a concept. Hmm. Um, so I, I feel you can apply 
toys and games and plays in, in, in a variety of ways and combinations to in my t- in my um in my capacity at Tate to our collections and our objects but you can apply it no matter what your collection is hmm. yeah in what ways I mean when you sort of talk about you can apply toys and games and play how what, what ways are you talking about applying them okay so okay so uh I'll give you some concrete examples so the last uh, thing that I created for Take Kids is a digital toy, and it was for the Liechtenstein show. Um, it was it was kind of a lowest common denominator toy for me, to be honest. But it's it's worked out really well, and it was our first foray into HTML5. Um, and basically, it's uh, Liechtenstein eyes yourself uh, digital toy. So you take um, a picture of yourself with your webcam, or one you've uplo- you want to upload, or you take a work from the uh, Take collection. And you apply Bende dots um, and uh, and uh, speech bubbles to that image to um, to make it appear as as part of you know Lichtenstein's work. So that's a, that's a toy. Hmm. Um, a, a game. I've created a number of games uh, for Tate. Um, the last major one being. Um, as part of the Wonder Mind experience, which I did in 2011. And that was um, tying uh, the Lewis Carroll's narrative uh, along with an Alice in Wonderland show that we had at Take Liverpool at the time. And basically we used games um, as a way to drag people down this rabbit hole of content that we've created around art and science. Um, and they are games with rules. So Alice... Uh, Alice is your avatar, she is you, and in one game, for example, she runs around a forest, keeping all the pathways clear, and that was used to illustrate a scientific concept. Um, so, I mean, so that's the kind of difference. The, 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 the toys are open-ended and creative, and games are kind, are kind of fixed hmm. narratives so- you want the, 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 the user to follow down. Interesting. Um, so why, I mean, why museums and games? Is it about deepening the experience for the visitor or is it about, you know, just making the museum experience more fun? I mean, is what's the strategy there? I think, I think there are a number of ways that we can use games um, in the cultural sector. One indeed is uh, engaging the existing, the existing audiences that we have um, online and offline in the galleries. It's also a good way to reach people who would never think to come to um, a, a website or platform that's run by a museum. People who think museums aren't for them might be into games and might enjoy the link between the two. Hmm. Um, it, they are good teaching tools if you want to use them as teaching tools. Uh, they're a good way to uh, to 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 demonstrate what your brand values are as an institution. Um, I would say um, that, 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 you know, question to be fun. They don't need to be fun, but they're a good way. They, they, they can make you look good. They can make you look good. Um, but, you know, as much as I love games, and I love games, I'm a really big advocate for them, they're not the only thing, or they're not like, um, they're not the be-all and end-all of engagement. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Other, yeah. yeah, I'm... It's sort of interesting to me that you're talking about them as being good for the brand because I hadn't really thought about um, games in a museum context in in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, how much, I mean, 
Is, is that just about trying to then take the brand elsewhere or to a different audience? Yeah, it's, it's, it is it is kind of like that. I know like, I'm talking about like dirty brands. I'm, a bit, I'm from like a bit of a marketing background. Um, so, you know, for Tate, we're quite lucky that we have this these brand values or, you know, we're seen to be like kind of cool and, and all that. So we're lucky that the games that we make um, allow us to express that. Games that come from a more traditional institution won't um allay those uh values but you can still create great games so yeah it is taking your brand and putting it in a place where people wouldn't engage with it and then thinking actually there might be something in there for me i might it might convert me to you know a look at their collection online or even you know a visit which would be fantastic yeah it's kind of like a gateway Um, yeah that's it the gateway drug (laughs) yeah to the cultural sector (laughs) <laughs> awesome. Uh, Sharna, are you are you guys developing most of these initiatives in-house or using external developers? Uh, unfortunately not. We don't have the expertise in-house. Um, we, I tend to engage an agency, um, a different agencies every time um, to make games for me. Cool. Uh, yeah. Why a different agency each time? Because, uh, uh, well, I've, a number of reasons. I like to uh, work with different people. And I like the different agencies to bring their strengths and expertise to me. So I, when I'm doing a brief, I don't necessarily say, I want a sculpture game and I want it to be like this and I want it to be 3D and you will make it as my robot. I want them to come to me and say, you know, we're really interested in, you know, a technology or an audience. And then I can say, oh, okay, yeah, let's make it together. Let's collaborate on this. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a collaborative process. And I just like to, I like to meet people. I think that's what it is too. And also, I think like a big, a big museum like Tate has the kind of, we have the responsibility to be working with everybody and um, giving opportunities to small agencies and large agencies. So, you know, we kind of have the responsibility to the smaller institutions to act as, you know, as a bit of a net so we can recommend or not recommend um, agencies to to smaller institutions who would find, you know, making game quite a tricky thing with this, you know, small budgets. I mean, we have small budgets, but, you know, really small budgets and um, low numbers of staff. That's interesting because, I, I mean, I found the same thing with projects here at my museum is, is engaging kind of smaller, newer startup yeah. kind of agencies. They're, you know, they're a little bit, the communication is there. They're eager to create yeah. something awesome. You that's know? right. Um, that's right. And yeah. especially when your budget is tiny. Not that I'm saying I'm into, you know, slave labor. I'm not. But, you know, when your budget is small, um, it's nice to work with a, a young agency who are really keen to have, you know, the tape on their books. For sure. Um, and so, you know, we can both really work hard at a thing and make the best of it. So what makes a good game? Oh, okay. Um, well, a good narrative, even if it doesn't seem to be a story-driven game, it, it kind of has to make sense why, why, it, why it exists. The reason for it being has to be strong. It has to have, like, good game mechanic. Like, what's, what, what are you doing? And how, you know, what's the game verb? And is it, is it you know, is it not, not, it doesn't have to be fun. I keep saying this, it doesn't have to be fun, but is it, like, a good are you doing something kind of cool, interesting? You know, are you just grinding? No, you're not. Um, it's not necessarily about um, having, um, you know, triple A rated graphics or anything like that, but consistent, engaging graphics. 
Um, and again, for a museum, it, I kind of want it to make sense for the institution while surprising me. So I wouldn't expect to go to the British Museum website saying play a game about graffiti. <laughs> That'd be weird. <laughs> but I, but I, you know, I, I play the games that, uh, the, like the time traveling game that they've got. And I love it. It's great. Um, when you were talking before about how games have rules, yeah. um, I, I was reading a, a post just a few minutes before we started reading by a blogger called Hamish Curry, and it was about culture and gaming. And one of the things he draws attention to is the way that games can really empower kids because the exploration is sort of in the safety of the game environment, lets them find loopholes and alternatives to the set course. So is the fact that games have rules actually important in that? Yeah. So if, yeah, if you're talking about a game game then having the rules is important because it gives people a reason, it gives the children a reason to, a reason to do their thing and also how to do that thing within the game context. And it's like, you know, working with a creative brief, you can follow the brief to a letter or you can choose to interpret that brief um, in a very flexible way. And games do give you, uh, they do give you that space to, to, you know, to, to games give you that space to either, you know, follow the rules or break them, which is, which is great. And similarly, I have toys, which are just open-ended and that's where I find that kids, you know, make their own rules completely if that makes any sense yeah yeah absolutely so uh let's let's talk about the elephant in the room gamification Mm -hmm. um okay and 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 first of all or game you know gamification and game mechanics how um how to introduce these to the into the museum experience without hijacking it in a way and respecting it um what are your thoughts on that Um, okay okay so gamification is is like a dirty word where i'm from so gamification is basically taking a very very superficial element a small part of the game experience and applying that to a marketing exercise it's kind of it's more like behavioral design what what gamification is uh so we, you know, gamification is about, you know, loyalty schemes and card schemes, which are fine. They're completely, I mean, they're brilliant things to have, um, but they're not games. Right. And I feel that for art, art institutions and museums, who should be respecting the medium to be asking for or employing game gamification techniques is just, it just doesn't sit well with me. Right. So it's you see, a, you, you see a definite a line in the sand between gamification and game mechanics. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Completely, completely. Like gamification just makes me ugh. right. Like, that just no, it's just wrong. Um, it's it, the, what's wrong with it is the terminology that we're using that we're saying that these are games, and for people who don't play games or respect the medium, they think, oh yeah, slap a badge on it. Right. Slap, a, slap, slap some points on the thing, and then yeah, you've made a game. It's like no, 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 no. What about the narrative? What about what about the true mechanic? What about the rewards? Hmm. What about the feeling you get when you play it? You know, and I think these gamification schemes go too far sometimes as well. I mean, I was I was laughing about it, but you know, you get these things. Oh, you know, you've walked from one end of the gallery to another. Here's a thousand points. You know, it's it's just like what's what's that? Right. 
So, I mean, that's sort of integrating the the game idea, though, into the physical space in some ways, even if it's not actually a game or a gameplay, it's sort of still trying to bring the idea of gaming into the exhibition space, yeah? Mm. Can, uh, no? It's it's kind of, I see it more of as a cynical thing, as a, oh, yeah, like kids, or kid, well, not even just kids, you know, people like games, they spend lots of time at games, let's just throw let's just throw some of the elements on it and you know people will be like zombie like in the galleries and just yeah they'll follow it and they'll just chase points it'd be great um it's a different it's a different why right it's a, it's a different you know for the visitor why am i participating in this yeah. is it to is it to rack up points and get free parking or is it to um have fun and get deeper with the with the with the collection object right i mean well that- yeah it's, yeah, it's 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 uh, it's it's hard to articulate. <laughs> I'm sorry, unfortunately, for this podcast. But for me, it's like um, give just throwing. It, it depends on how it's done. It depends yeah. on how it's done. I mean, if you're going to throw points at a thing, then you should be rewarded with something that's relevant. Mm. Um, and you know that we have to be careful with how we, or I feel we have to be careful with how we use game mechanics around um our collections and our objects and our works because there we you know there's a danger of becoming too flippant um you know kind of oh go and see this work you've done it right here's some points but what about looking at that work properly you know if there was you know if you employ some mechanics to look deep into the painting and there was some kind of you know discussion perhaps i have no problem with that but a kind of just superficial throwing a point at a thing throwing this game layer game in inverted commas layer on a thing just doesn't doesn't sit with, well with me for the audience. It doesn't sit well with me as um, someone who loves games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's it is interesting the marrying of these two ideas that we have mm-hmm. this this real discussion about games and what are game mechanics and how do they apply, and then this idea of gamification and should I mean I don't even know if there are discussion that should be happening in the same space or not. Um. That's not really a question. It's just a. <laughs> no, but you're, you're, I think you're right. They are. They're two very. Games and gamification are two different, uh, completely two different things, different disciplines. The gamification is more of a, a marketer's tool. It's, I don't think it's, it's, it's not wrong. It's just it shouldn't be aligned with games. It just needs a new terminology. Yeah, okay. All right. I'm going to ask a, a, a slightly more fun question then, which is what's your favorite game? <sighs> Okay, museum so, or otherwise can be can be anything. Okay, um, my favorite. Okay, oh shit, this is hard. So, Maniac Mansion uh, that I played on SNES like back in the like eighties, nineties is probably my favorite. Or also Grim Fandango by Double Fine. Uh, more recently, um, <laughs> I really loved obviously like Journey, um, the Telltale games. Uh, Walking Dead and uh, the Back to the Future stuff that they've done is brilliant. Um, it's hard to pick a favorite game. It's like you know, pick a favorite song. Depends on your mood, the genre, and but some, they're like my top five or six hundred games. <laughs> 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 awesome. like, 
<laughs> so uh, we'll we'll put links to a lot of a lot of those games in the show notes for people. Cool, um, cool. And uh, Sharna, if 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 somebody's listening and and wants to learn more about um, what you do there at the Tate or connect with you on uh, you know on social networks, where where can they do all that? Yeah, well, anybody listening is fully um, welcome to badger me at any point in time. Um, if you want to tweet me, I'm at Shauna Jackson, um, and that is where I'm normally at. Don't ever voicemail me because I don't listen to them. Um, but tweets, tweets, or email uh, shauna.jackson at tape.org.uk. Awesome. Well, hey, Brilliant. thanks so thanks so much. Uh, I think we uh, I think we covered a lot of ground and some some really interesting ground. And I'm really excited to see where gaming goes um, in the future uh, in the museum space because I think it's 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 ripe for for um, some yeah awesome yeah. Stuff. Me too. And um, Erica Gangzi at SF MoMA is doing some great stuff. Um, as is Danny Birchall at the Wellcome Trust. Um, and, and some others are doing some really brilliant things. So, yeah, me too. Keen to keen to see what happens. Awesome. Thanks so much, Sharna. Thank you. Sophia George is co-founder of Swallowtail Games, working as a designer and artist. Swallowtail Games is an independent game studio releasing BAFTA-winning TikTok toys in 2013. Sophia is the V&A's first game designer in residence, where she will be researching and designing a game based on the British galleries and running public events. Sophia, welcome to Museopunks. Hello, thanks for having me. Ah, it is wonderful to have you on the program. Now, we were really excited when we saw that the V&A had got a game designer in residence, but I'd love to know a little bit more about the program. What are, what are the aims of it? How long does it go for? When does it all start? Well, the residency starts in October. Um, I found out about it probably at the end of last year. I think that the V&A wanted to bring games and more digital content to the V&A and um, I think someone suggested to have an actual resident at the V&A. So as soon as I heard about it, I, I applied straight away because, you know, I'm, I'm at quite an early stage in my career. And I, I thought this kind of thing would be perfect for me as well because I, I love the V&A. So, yeah, I'm just really excited to start in October, really. Cool. So uh, I assume your approach to making a game for a museum um, is is unique in a way. Can or games for a museum. Um, or, uh, so can you talk a little bit about how you see gaming fitting into the V&A's programming or exhibitions or collections content? Well, one of the, what I'll be doing at the V&A is looking at the British galleries there, and I'll be using them as inspiration, and my game, my game idea will kind of be a response to these collections. So they're kind of letting me create whatever kind of game I like. They want. They, I don't think they want to put too many restrictions on it, or I, I'm sure they don't want me to have like a game about a museum or <laughs> you know anything like that. So I'm trying to keep an open mind about what I'm going to be creating. So you're not going in with any particular idea of the sort of game you think you'll come up with? No, not really. I'm trying to um, not come up with anything completely like solid right now. I mean, I've got a few ideas, obviously, because you know I can't really help it, but. I really want to create something that like the V&A's audience will like is, you know, the most important to me. Yeah. I think that's, that's probably one of the unique 
aspects to um, you know infusing games or a kind of a playful approach to the museum experience. Uh, in what ways do you think that that this approach can can kind of deepen the experience for the visitor? Do you see it? Do you see it online or on site or a blurring of the of both? Um, how do you how how do you see that working? Well, I think they will have it on site, but I would want it so that you could perhaps play it online or download it to your iPad as well. I think it's important to because the project itself seemed to have got a lot of attention from like all over the world. So I would want it to be accessible to everyone because the VNA seems to have a lot of fans outside of the UK as well. So you know, I want to share the game around. Yeah, I think one of the reasons that people got really excited, and I mean, I know that both Jeffrey and I were pretty excited. It's one of the reasons we wanted to do this show is this idea of integrating gaming within the museum seems like a really interesting trend that's that's happening within the space. And I'm quite interested as to what where you think sort of how you think games and museums actually marry together like is it a natural thing to have gaming in a museum context or is this actually um a slightly strange fit well i've always like thought that games are like you know a, an art form and i think that they should be curated and put in museums but i think it's very difficult with games because if you're putting games into museum i mean there are so many different ways to do it. i mean you could have the the actual hardware on display or you could have um, the game's available to play or you can keep the source code, you know, archived. I think it's quite a complicated topic. Um, and, you know, now we're getting games that are online only but then might be taken offline in the future. So it's how do we keep those games as well? It's, it seems to be quite a complicated issue, I think. Yeah, there's definitely a lot, a lot of angles, um, you know, with MoMA acquiring their video game collection recently this program um that you're participating in some of the cool stuff that Charna's doing at tate um you know it's it certainly seems to be i don't, I don't want to say a trend but it's trending in a way that i think gaming and and uh, is really cr- creating dynamic experiences a, a way to create a, a less passive museum experience um so it's, how did you first get into building games? Um, I suppose, like, I've always wanted to get into games and the games industry. Like, since I was really young, I've always loved games. And, you know, I went to a art and design university, and then I did my master's in games development. So it's just kind of something I've always done, really. Something I've always enjoyed and wanted to get a part of. But I think one of the things with this VNA um residency is I don't want this to be the end of my you know, interactions of museums. I would love to do more with museums and art galleries and, and that kind of thing. When you talk about getting into games, I, I was actually reading some of the blog posts on the Swallowtail Games website on your blog and one of the posts mentioned how rare it is to be a woman working in the field and I'm really interested in that. I, I think in, in museums we actually have quite a lot of women who work in museums, although not necessarily always making it to the top of the sector. Um, but it's quite interesting to me that actually in your whole in the whole game design field there don't seem to be as many women working. How do you? I mean, how do you find that? Do you feel like you are one of only a few women working in the space? 
It definitely seems that way. Um, in the UK at the moment, I think it's only about 6% of game developers are women, which is really low. And um, I think it can have quite a negative impact on the games that are made because maybe women's tastes aren't being acquired for, women aren't like, creatively expressing themselves through games. And, you know, when I go to games events, sometimes like I am, I am the only woman there and it does sometimes feel a bit alienating. But um, I think the main thing is to try and encourage like young girls to get into technology and games and we can gradually get, uh, boost the numbers a little bit. Do you see? Do you see any shifts happening, or is it? Or, uh, is that is the f- female percentage growing? In your opinion, uh, obviously, things like this residency program and um, you know are can only help, right? Hopefully, yeah. I mean, when I'm at the VNA, oh, we'll be doing like workshops with um, school children. So hopefully, I can inspire some girls there to consider the industry. But I've heard that the number of women in the industry in the UK has actually decreased in the last 10, 15 years. So that's slightly worrying, I think. Interesting. Yeah, wow. Do you think it's because of the types of, like, games that people play? As in, is it is it the games are more designed for men or male audiences or is it just that girls don't feel like they might belong in the sector? Do you think? I think it's probably a mixture of both. I mean... When the big, you know, games come out, we call them AAA games, which are the big blockbuster ones that have, like, millions of dollars of marketing money. They're often the kind of, like, violent, shootery games which women just aren't as interested in. And, you know, I think if you've got a big, you know, crowd of men making something, it's going to probably be for men as well. I mean, what, what do you think? Uh, yeah, it's certainly a chicken and egg thing. Mm. Uh, if you don't have if you don't have the content or the, or the games to... Um, kind of um engage the female audience of players then i think you probably it's it's you know it's 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 a it's a tricky situation there was actually a uh an initiative here recently in in the states um and it's not related to gaming but it is related in some ways it was called app camp for girls um and it it was a uh an initiative started by uh, a female developer in in portland um to encourage young girls to um start to start developing apps and and um it's it's been a wild success um i'll drop a link to it in the show notes but it sounds like initiatives like that can could really kind of spur some growth well, one of the things I find quite interesting is within the museum sector, I think a lot of the people who I know who are making games and a lot of them are actually women working in this space. So it's sort of quite interesting that maybe in the mainstream game sector it, it's not a huge percentage, but when I think about a lot of the people I know making games in this space, a lot of them actually are women. So I don't know whether that's something unique to this sector or not. Um it, yeah, go. definitely. Like, I also think that those smaller games can be a lot more interesting than the the bigger budget games as well. Yeah. So, as an independent game designer, um, you've obviously you, you kind of are are not working through a big production house. Mm. Um, how how is the relationship? What does it mean for an independent independent game designer to work with a major museum like the VNA on a project like this? Well. Of course, it's like incredibly humbling, and I'm really like thankful for the opportunity. But I think 
as well as that, it kind of gives like the public an insight into the fact that there are independent games developers and it's not all huge studios with hundreds of people. So I think the audience might be quite shocked about that kind of thing. What I, I want to know what you think makes a good game. We were talking to Shana Jackson, who's at the Tate, and she gave us some of her ideas of sort of what she thinks makes a compelling game. And I'm really interested as to what you think makes a good game. Um, I really like games that have a lot of atmosphere and a lot of character, I think. I mean, I'm kind of an artist as well, so I really like games that look beautiful. And I, I don't mean like completely, you know, high realism graphics i mean games are just you know the art style is definitely um been highly considered i think that's me <laughs> <laughs> what are some of your favorite games what the games you grew up playing or 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 games that inspired you to uh be a game creator um i grew up on a lot of nintendo games which are very um they focus a lot on characters and the way things look but in the past couple of years i've really enjoyed games like um flower and journey by that game company because they do quite innovative things with gameplay and the way that the games make you feel is is really interesting as well and another game i really like is called portal 2 which i think does like storytelling really well so i think you should check them out if i don't know i think they're really good like the best examples of games out at the moment yeah, we'll drop we'll drop links to those in the mm-hmm. show notes because Sharna gave us a, a list of games that uh, were inspirational to her. So I think it could be useful, especially for museum practitioners, to kind of look look outside of the box of museum games into into gaming as a whole and how can how can these outside inspirations and in, inform some of the work that we do um, in the sector. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that ties into what um, Seb Chan has been talking about lately with his sense that there's a sort of growing pervasiveness of video game literacy that's starting to inform all kinds of all kinds of narratives and all kinds of designs in the in the world outside. So not just in in museums, but in actual all kinds of theaters and movies and, and television shows. He's got this idea of video game literacy and that people understand how to read video games now because it's become so pervasive. So even just the capacity to play video games, I suppose, fits within that of thinking of different ways that of understanding audience as well. Oh, that sounds really interesting. I haven't, I haven't heard of his before, but that's something I'll definitely look into. Cool. We'll drop a link to it in the show notes. Um, uh, Sophia, if if listeners wanted to learn more about uh, what you're doing at the VNA or uh, connect with you on on social networks, um, where can they do that? Well, I update my blog on my website, which is sophiajodge.com, and I've got a Twitter as well, which is at Sophia Pretoria. And I I always respond to Twitter, so please get in touch. <laughs> awesome! Thanks so much. Um, it was. It was really great chatting with you and uh, can't wait to see what comes out of this residency program because I think it's super progressive and um, uh, I think the potential is there for some great things. Great. Yeah, I'm really excited to start and it's been great talking to you both. Hey, so Jeff, that was really interesting, yeah? Yes. Um I think it was uh, really great and and kind of uh, eye opening um, to as to um, 
you know, how museums can embrace this kind of approach, um, this new Absolutely. approach. Absolutely. And I think it was really nice hearing from, you know, from Shana being the, the museum side who goes out to, to game makers and game developers and then hearing from Sophia coming from the other end. Yeah, for sure. And it'll be really interesting to see, um, to see how uh, Sophia can 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 bring that external experience uh, into the museum space uh, in a way that um, you know kind of uh, fuses the two in a way, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's going to be really interesting to see what she ends up with and how different it might be from other sorts of museum games, other ones that might have been produced in house. Yeah, exactly. Um, and one thing that that really still sticks with me is 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 this this kind of uh, division between um gamification and game mechanics and you know coming from outside where not being a gamer um i kind of thought those two were were kind of blurry and the same kind of thing before going into this episode and speaking with sharna um really kind of clarified a lot of that to me um in a way that is valuable i think yeah, absolutely. For me, it was um, at Museums and the Web earlier this year. I just, I wasn't in any of the discussions where people were talking about gaming. I was in other sessions, but I gathered there was quite a significant discussion that was happening there right around that same issue. So I think it is a, a pretty big uh, conversation that's still happening within our space. Yeah, yeah, and deservedly so. Um, so if if you'd like to... Um uh, find out about in more detail about any of the stuff we spoke about, uh, the links we mentioned. They're all in the show, lo- show notes at museopunks.org slash zero five. Um, and, uh, you know, with that, I think, I think we're, uh, we're, we're basically uh, stick a fork in this episode. It's done. Suze, um, where can people find you online? People can find me at museumgeek.wordpress.com is my blog. Otherwise, I am on Twitter as at shineslike. Jeffrey, what uh, about you? I am at staticmade on Twitter. Uh, I write at staticmade.com. Um, and you can follow uh, Museopunks on Twitter as well. We are at Museopunks. And I'd like to thank the uh, the people who are reviewing us and rating us in iTunes. We got a couple good reviews. Have you seen that, Suze? I have. It's really exciting. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, so so keep them coming. If you have any um, recommendations, uh, you know, guest ideas, topic ideas, we'd love to hear them from you. Um, you can do that at museopunks.org slash contact. Um, so with that, uh, Suze, it was great as always. Yeah, totally enjoyed it. And we will talk next time. Game on.